are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good morning, Toronto, and welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. My wingman, of course, joining us, Jack Hartle. We have a killer lineup for you this Saturday morning, so turn up your radio and learn something, and more important, let's try to make some money together. Jennifer Lynch is going to be joining us, Dale and Lesman, to talk about will and estate planning, very, very important stuff. You've worked hard for your money. Don't give it to the government when you pass away. Learn means to hang on to that. Uh, we got the macro tourist in, my main man, Kevin Muir. This guy is so smart, and boy, oh boy, what we get out of him, and the price certainly is right as well with his macro tourist newsletter. Uh, he's going to be chatting with us about big picture stuff. Terry Thibb, IA Clarington Portfolio Manager, a man who manages billions upon billions of dollars. And we're going to end the show with Tom Goggins of your favorite insurance company, Manulife. He runs those nebulous instruments called bonds. Very, very important instruments. But let's take it over to the macro tourist, Kevin Muir. Good morning and thank you for joining us. Great to be with you. Kevin, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a fellow in from New York talking about gold versus Bitcoin. And, you know, he, he just picked it up on a chart, knew nothing about Bitcoin, just saw it on a chart and said something is taking place. You, a week ago, or actually this week, I should say, wrote about Bitcoin, caught your attention. Uh, and in your writings, you described, in fact, your history with the, uh, shall I say, currency. Please share with the audience uh, your experience with Bitcoin and what you think of Bitcoin as an investment. Basically, um, I described the greatest bundle of my career back then when I first was uh, introduced to Bitcoin. It was when the kid that was working with me was on the computer Reddit boards and he came to me and he said, you know, there's this really interesting technology and uh, it's basically a virtual currency. And the beautiful part about it is that it's decentralized and that there's nobody controls it. And therefore, it's um, it's not the governments can't get at it. And it's a beautiful thing for people to that are true libertarians. He called it the libertarians wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so what he basically um, said that we should invest in it. And this was probably in early 2012. And uh, at the time, Bitcoin was about four bucks. And I said that it was basically three dollars and ninety cents to expensive. <laughs> I thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I told him, you know, not a chance. He said, why don't we take some dough and put it in there? And I said, there's not a chance we're going to do that. We're going to just, we're going to forget about this. About a year later, he came up to me and he said, you remember that thing I talked about, that investment opportunity? Well, no longer is it four bucks. It's now 30 bucks. Was and that I to said, 2013? That's right. Way before anyone had, had ever, you know, uh, had gotten onto the radio and stuff. This was or this or on the TV. It was basically just confined to the tech guys. It wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't a uh, an acceptance by Wall Street or by anybody else. It was just a bunch of nerds talking about this kind of theoretical, uh, you know, pie in the sky experiment. And and at one point, I guess there's a guy that actually bought two Domino's pizzas with ten thousand bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's how it was. That's how it was going. It was basically something just the the, the geeks were trading around. So, so well, Kevin, yeah. So you decided uh, not to put your own money into this. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, so, you, so, so you started mining for Bitcoin. Well, yeah. So 
I, you know, he told me about it thirty dollars, and I said uh, we're not, you know, we're not going to, still not going to do it. And then, kind of, you know, a few months later, it was eighty dollars, and it right. started to really take off. And I've I've seen enough markets in my day to realize that if something goes from you know four dollars to eighty dollars, there's nothing stopping it to go to two hundred dollars, to two thousand dollars, to twenty thousand dollars. A mania is a mania, and people could just you know take off with it. The madness of crowds. That's correct. So what we did was, uh, I, I wasn't prepared to go and just invest in it at this point at $80, but I was prepared to kind of, you know, investigate it. So what we did is we opened up, we created a wallet, we bought, we got some Bitcoins and we transferred them around. I learned about it. And after doing this, I realized that this technology was very difficult and not very easy to use. And I said, you know what, it really is just a fad, but you know, let's just keep investigating it. And we came up, we, we decided to turn on one of our computers and start mining it. So, you know, that, that actually is a process where you are, um, it's, it's actually the, the fundamental uh, transaction that, that makes Bitcoin work. But people all over the world need to mine it for the actual, the network to keep, keep uh, being kind of uh, correct. And so we started doing it and we started earning Bitcoins. And then we realized very quickly. So, that, so how, how did you earn Bitcoin? So when you mine, which is, which is basically solving a problem that, that, the, inter, that the, the Bitcoin uh standard has created you actually commit um those transactions to what they call the ledger mm -hmm. and it's important that a lot of independent people do this so that nobody can control the the, the network and so when you mine by doing this transact this uh, calculation you get paid with bitcoins and that is quote unquote mining a bitcoin mm. so you earn it so kind of i figured let's so just, new units of coins have been created yeah coin is kind of a, a, a like a not the correct word correct. because if you think about it it's, it's really just bits in the sky correct so it's an alternative currency but part of it being alternative is that it's zeros and ones on a ledger you're absolutely correct. So, so we start. We turned on a computer. We started mining, and next thing you know, we were making some money. And uh, <laughs> and so, um, there's he, Golden Dim Hills boy. That's that's correct. <laughs> and so we um, basically went, and we decided that if uh, if it worked with one computer, we could start looking at different. Com uh, there's there's specialized computers that would be a lot more efficient. So we started. We ordered some butterfly technology computers, and these were specific computers designed for bitcoining. Bitcoin mining. And so we turned these things on and next thing we knew, we were, you know, mining these things and just uh, earning all sorts of Bitcoins. Fascinating. Um, Kevin, cryptocurrency universe, there are more players participating according to your work. So I want you to stay tuned because right after this, I want to bring you back on. I want to learn more about Kryptonite, my good friend. Sounds good. All right. Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, a little kryptonite it's early in the morning on a Saturday, AM 640, but you are listening to Hi-Fi Radio. Turn up that radio. Kevin Muir is on the line. We are talking cryptocurrencies. So let's talk about this, Kevin. How many cryptocurrencies are there? There are lots. 
like more than you can imagine. And that's part of the problem with these things is that, uh, you know, some of the crypto bulls will tell you or the Bitcoin bulls will tell you, oh, it's a finite amount. So therefore, it's got a value. Well, the reality is that there's a bunch of them out there. They're all competing. So if you think about it, if the actual number or uh, t total cryptocurrencies is infinite because there could be one created tomorrow. And, and if you think about it right now, it's Bitcoin is the rage. And there's another one called Erythium. And that's kind of slowly catching up to Bitcoin. But think back to when you when we first had the, uh, the iPods, before iPods. I don't know if anyone remembers their Diamond MP3 player. I'm thinking Sony Walkman, baby. Yeah, well, no, but you're right. I love right. my Sony Walkman. <laughs> but if you think about it, I think Apple Sony, was, Sony dropped the ball on that one, that's, by the way. That's correct. And Apple, though, was... <laughs> little cassette, was, you take it out, you flip it over. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. <laughs> so Apple was not the lead incumbent when it came to this technology. They were actually late to the whole game, and they, didn't end up, and they ended up being the dominant player. So when people right now are talking about Bitcoin, and they're the ones that, that are right now capturing everyone's attention, who knows? The Bitcoin network can only transact seven transactions per second. You know, it, it takes a thousand times more energy to do a, a, a transfer than it does to do a visa swipe. The, this might not be the currency, the, the cryptocurrency that in the long run wins. And this is part of the problem with investing with these cryptocurrencies. You don't know which one is going to be the ultimate winner. So, so when you look at Bitcoin here, Kevin, uh, what um, advantages do they have over the other uh, other players in the cryptocurrency market? Well, they're just they were first, right. and it's basically they're they're the most accepted on all sorts of different venues, and 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 they just have the first mover part advantage. Of that, part of that scale, I guess, most people on that platform. Is that correct? You're absolutely correct. So, how do you realize a gain once you have all these bitcoins? How do how do you bring them into the real economy, the real market? Well, other than uh, most. There's nothing stopping you and I from doing a trade. And right. so we could, you, like you could buy my Bitcoins and we could go and, and, and post it to the ledger and you could actually write me a check. Okay. And actually when you first dealt with Bitcoins, that's how they worked. People would actually go and come to your office. Like you would phone up a guy and you'd ask to buy some Bitcoins. He'd show up, he'd take your money and he'd you know, transfer to your wallet the Bitcoins. Sounds pretty inefficient. You're absolutely correct. But nowadays there's all sorts of exchanges right. that, are, that, that actually transact in all these different crypto cryptocurrencies so you can actually go and deposit money at this exchange and then you know trade them just like you would trade a stock or a bond or anything else the difference being that when you go and you buy a stock or a bond it's regulated the government's involved they're the ones making sure that there's all sorts of rules and everybody's playing fair they're making sure that there's insurance if the broker goes out of business right. when you're talking about these bitcoin exchanges it's the wild west you're just basically sending money to, to some guy. He could be in his parents' basement, you know, with a computer and, and, and taking all these trades. So that's a little, you know, I, I'm probably exaggerating a little, but the reality is that there isn't the sort of safeguards sure. that most investors would expect. So, so how do you deal with this counterparty risk that you're describing right now? Well, when we first started trading these things, so I was telling the story of the mining, the Bitcoins, and, and eventually we would mine these things and we would actually want to trade them and trade out of them and actually get our money from them. So we started going and figuring out what exchange we would be best to go and actually transact on. Mm -hmm. And there was some exchanges way back when, because don't forget, this is before, uh, th this is kind of like in the 2015, there was an exchange in, in Japan called the Mount Gox. And Mount Gox was persistently bid higher than any other exchange. So it was, it was, it made like sense on paper to transfer your Bitcoins to that exchange, sell them, and then get the money. But the problem was that they would take your Bitcoins 
and they wouldn't give you your money. And they, you know, and eventually they got, they got actually Mt. Gox went out of business and they got, and they went bankrupt. And, and actually one of my Bitcoin friend traders told me that he got Mt. Goxed. It, it turned into a verb. Oh, that's funny. Unbelievable. You know, Kevin, it's interesting because I've, I've thrown out the phrase blockchain on air a few times. And I, I, I believe few of us truly understand. In fact, I, I don't truly understand blockchain, but I think very few people even know the word blockchain. Um, but Bitcoin, I think, is is the quintessential example of successful blockchain. Am I correct with that? Yes, but a lot of the talk now about the blockchain technology is 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 a, it's a lot different than the trading of the currency. You could actually have blockchain technology that has nothing to do with sure. the currency, and it, and it's more of just a way of having a distributed network that nobody but, controls that that you can put transactions verify and verify that's correct because that's what it's really all about that ledger is verification and and, and i like in your note uh that you that you put out how you have an old ledger and some old coins and and your comment was you take the coin over the ledger any day but truly that's what bitcoin is it is an alternative currency um perhaps it has its roots steeped in what do you call silk road and the underground economy but there certainly is more to it than that uh kevin you're brilliant love having you on the air you are my jesse livermore and you know some friends i've said this to a number of folks if you want to learn learn anything about the stock market the finest book ever written reminiscences of a stock operator about a fellow named jesse livermore hated clients traded his own hand was very very successful at it unfortunately in the end blew himself up physically Anyways, it is Saturday morning, my good friends. All right, coming up, we are talking will and estate planning. May you live long and prosper and minimize tax right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Welcome back to the show. On the phone with us is Jennifer Lynch. She is a will and estate planning lawyer. uh, And according to her credentials, also a funeral and cremation lawyer. But she doesn't want to talk about that. (laughs) But if you look at her, first of all, Jennifer's education. She studied law in New Brunswick. That's cool. Uh, A BA from the University of Guelph. That's very, very Ontarian of you. But here we have Moscow State University, Russia, International Exchange 2003. Isn't Mm -hmm. that cool? You are so worldly, Jennifer. So welcome to the show. Uh, Yes, we're talking about wills and estate planning. Uh, Look, Jack and I are portfolio managers, so we help clients build up big, juicy, wealthy estates. But at some point, they got to account for that estate and pass it on to the next generation. So let's talk about, first of all, Jennifer, the importance of a will. Can you please stress to our audience how important it is to have a will and the consequences if you die intestate? Oh, good question. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Wolfgang. You're welcome. <laughs> um it's, so first off, it's, it's very important to have a will, would be the short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the one document that's going to govern your estate on your death. So 
I mean, it's important to have this document in place. It's important to update it regularly, and it's important to have it done right by a lawyer who specializes in this area. Now, first of all, Jennifer, from from my knowledge of dealing with lawyers, and I deal with a lot of lawyers in mm-hmm. my business, l- less and less lawyers want to write wills due to the liability because there is future potential liability for not mm-hmm. drafting a proper will, um, which means I've always said to people, don't cut it short. Spend the proper amount of money to draft a proper will by a, a specialist, a specialist, not just any lawyer, but a specialist. And that's exactly what you are, correct? Yes, that's You're, correct. Mm-hmm. So again, what, what Jack and I come across frequently is people going to great lengths to save, you know what? <laughs> Probate. Probate. Right. In harmony. Probate. Let's let's say the word together. <laughs> Probate. <laughs> Which equates into a whop and what? In aggregate, one and a half percent the value of an estate. But I've seen people jump through hoops and create additional addendums and documents, mm-hmm. et cetera. Multiple accounting reporting. It's crazy. It, it, Corporations. It, for, for, for an estate worth, let's say, I don't know, a million bucks or a million and a half dollars. Uh, would you agree with me, people just going to excessive lengths to, to, to deal with this part of their estate planning rather than other aspects of it, i.e. the tax management or, or the proper execution of the will? Oh, absolutely. And I mean... First of all, saving a probate fees is worthwhile, and it's worthwhile to have the conversation with your lawyer in order to do it. But you, you know, you did mention the lengths that people go to in order to save that 1.5 percent on assets in the estate for estates over fifty thousand dollars. And people will go to a lot of lengths, and they they also will undertake strategies to reduce probate fees that can ultimately be risky and. Correct. Very often when doing these types of strategies, it's a question of weighing the risks based against the rewards or the costs of the ultimate probate. Yeah. Now, give us an example of, of, of a risky strategy. Well, I think one of the ones that's most popular um, is really putting assets in joint ownership. And it, it, this is just a common idea that if a property mm-hmm. is held jointly with a right of survivorship, that when the first owner dies, the surviving joint o- owner in the normal course will automatically become the owner of all the properties. 100% of the asset. And Jack and I come across that all the time. Exactly. And, and this means that the value of that asset wouldn't form part of that person's estate on their, day, their death and mm-hmm. no probate fees would be payable. Which is good. So Which, do you, do you, do you it, see it, this with parents and, and children, I guess, as well? Not just uh, spouses? Yes, it's, it's very common. With parents, yes. Putting their child. Exactly. Right? And not necessarily all of their children. And this is where it really, really irks me because I, I see potential liability where they have multiple children, but they only name one jointly, hoping that person will then equally distribute as per the will. And that is not necessarily legally the case, is it? No, it's not. And I mean, the, the issue that you've identified there where you have uh, someone who adds an adult child uh, as a joint owner, you're really talking about confusion over what their intention is. And the problem there is where you have you have a transfer where it's to made somebody other than a spouse or a minor, minor child, there's a legal presumption that the person who's been added as that joint owner owns that item in trust for the person who made the transfer. So like you identified, this can be the source of many family disputes. So where the child who's been added to a bank account says that they're, you know, they're, they're usually going to say that they're the real owner and that on that person's death, they're the person who, you know, that the parent's intention was for them to inherit everything. Now, it's very often that the beneficiaries of the estate are going to say otherwise, and they're going to say, no, that person was really meant to, they were really only added to that bank account for convenient purpose, 
convenience purposes to help mom or dad with their bank. Correct. They weren't, you know, they weren't meant to inherit everything. And that's why if, if somebody is looking to do that strategy, they really need to document that. It, importantly, they should probably see their lawyer and their lawyer should help them document that so that when they die, there can be no confusion over what the intention was supposed to be of that asset that they added jointly with their child. I've seen it so, happen before I, with I, the cottage. I was going to say, Jennifer, you talked about uh, the importance, I guess, of executing a will. Yes. What's the executor's responsibility ultimately when uh, when executing a will on behalf of um, the estate? Sure. So, so the the better way to put it would would not be that the executor is going to um, execute the will on behalf of the estate. So, the executor's role is to administer. Uh, right. someone's estate on their death. So for the for the benefit on behalf of the beneficiaries. Exactly. They're going to administer the assets according to to that person's last will for the benefit of the beneficiaries of their estate. And normal by the way to get paid for that role, Jennifer? Absolutely. And and this is something that the people are you know, often hesitant to do at the time they're making their will is to recognize and to include a clause that does say that that person has the right to claim compensation, but ultimately being an executor is, is really quite a chore. I've done it. it it's a nightmare. It, it is a lot. <laughs> it is. It goes on. It continues. It, it, it's not a six-week exercise. No. I mean, an administration. And the beginning is the most difficult part, Jennifer, when you have to go to the bank account, to the bank, to the local bank, and get ten dollars or $20,000 to pay for a funeral. Mm-hmm. That's where it becomes very, very challenging. Uh, Jennifer, I want you to stay with us because we want to come back because uh, we're having such an exciting conversation <laughs> talking about cremation law and will and estate plan, all that wonderful uh, thing. So please, stay with us on the line. We have to go make some money right now, run some sponsorship ads. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to be right back after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. If you have any questions about today's show or financial questions you need answered, go to WolfgangKlein.com. And now back to the show. Here's Wolfgang and Jack. Thank you and welcome back to the show. We're talking law. We're talking will and estate planning with Jennifer Lynch of Dalesman. Dale, help me with the company name, Jennifer. Dale and Lessman. Dale and Lessman. Thank you. We're, yes. we're a law firm in Toronto. Thank you. Yes, Jennifer, Jennifer Lynch of Dale and Lessman, uh, a specialist in will and estate planning law. And friends, I've said this earlier in this show, it is hard to find a lawyer that specializes in will and estate. But if I was to get a will done, use a specialist, not a generalist in the field of law. Jennifer, do you agree with me with that statement? Yes, I, I would absolutely agree. I mean, it's it's a complex area, and it's just getting more and more complex. So it's I think it would be best to to leave it to the people that do this every day. Yeah, you talk about the complexities of uh, administering a will, and we were just talking about uh, executors before the break. Um, what would you suggest in terms of number of executors on a on a typical will? Sure. Well, I mean, ultimately. With any estate planning, any decisions under the will, it's it's up to the testator to decide right. what's appropriate um, based on their own family. So and the testator is the person that it, passed away? It, no, it's it's the person making the will. Right. So it's really for them to decide what's appropriate in their circumstances. And a lot of times people want to name all of their children as an executor because they feel that this is fair. And for instance, if they have three children, they want to have three executors because they don't want anybody to be left out. I've seen it. And it can be a nightmare. Am I correct? Y- yes, it can be a nightmare. And one thing to keep in mind is that really that this role is quite a chore. Um, usually people are not 
uh, too concerned if they've if they they forego this responsibility, <laughs> and just for ease of administration, sometimes it's better to have less people. They need to act. Executives need to act unanimously when they reach decisions. So if you do want to choose multiple people, it's important to choose people that. Uh, are the right people for the role, namely that they're going to get on well together, uh, that they're responsible, um, that they're also, uh, you know, humble enough to to take advice and to follow that advice. So there's there's a few characteristics to keep in mind when you're choosing people. Yeah, no, you certainly have to be savvy in the area of finance. Mm -hmm. You're going to be dealing with uh, accountants and multiple tax returns, um, plus paying for a funeral, planning a funeral, uh, no, it's just an ongoing chore uh, that can, I think, what, take two to four years to properly wrap up and get sign-off from the uh, Revenue Canada that, yes, it is now uh, free and clear? Well, it could certainly take a long time. I mean, to, to expect a, a year is, I think, probably average, and it can certainly take longer than that to wrap up the administration of an estate. Mm-hmm. Just backing up, I guess, a little bit here, sure. Jennifer. Uh, we were talking about uh, wills. Um, I guess power of attorneys are also very important, and you're involved with that. Um, would you suggest power of attorneys be the same person as the executor of a will, and, and what's your opinion uh, on that field? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think it, it's absolutely, it's very important to also get powers of attorney, and I think that any any lawyer who specializes in this area, any wills and estates lawyer, will will make sure that when somebody comes in to get a will, that they will also get powers of attorney done at the same time. And there's different types of powers of attorney. So there's a, a power of attorney for property and a power of attorney for personal care. And really, those documents are the documents where somebody was naming uh, substitute decision makers to make decisions for that person if they become incapable and they're not able to. So the the people that would be appropriate for those are could have different traits and and different skills would probably be more beneficial for one document over the other for instance with the power of attorney for property you would really want somebody who uh to use your word wolfgang who has the savvy to understand finances and uh, is able to take care of that person's banking because really it's quite a level of responsibility and you can do anything with that power of attorney that the person can do themselves with the exception of making a new will so you want to have somebody who has the capabilities to to know how to use that document Any, properly. I like that's interesting anything but with the exception of making a new will that's right that's of very course. very that's very very interesting <laughs> point you make there thank you for so, that. so it's, it's a good alternative to have a power of attorney as opposed to putting joint ownership the what we were talking about before in the the previous segment i guess just to take care of your mm-hmm. financial affairs so so you would ultimately want a power of attorney for property regardless um because you would want to to have somebody to name to deal with any of your property if you um if you become incapable and it's possible that you will have other forms of property that need to be dealt with um right. besides that which you might own jointly jointly with somebody else um, the other type of power of attorney would be power of attorney for personal care. And with those t- with that type of document, I typically recommend that those decisions have to do with health care or ongoing treatment decisions are usually more of a family matter. And, and that's the document where you really might consider naming all of your children or, you know, or your children if they don't, for instance, have the qualities that you might be looking for, for in an attorney for power of attorney for property. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, in the interest of time, I got one last question sure. for you here. Um, can, can you briefly discuss the notion of multiple wills and when they should be used? Sure. So that, that's a good question. Um, multiple wills is a strategy that's most often done for people who have shares of privately held corporations. So you're talking about owners of small or medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. 
So the, the idea behind multiple wills is that you would have one will which would govern your personal assets, and mm-hmm. then you would have another will which would govern your corporate assets. And this is a good idea because under our law in Ontario, probate is not required to transfer shares of privately held corporations. So the value of those shares that are under your corporate will wouldn't have to be included in the value of your estate on your death, and, and no probate fees would have to be payable on their value. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, so to, you know, just as a, I mean, as example, if you're talking about an estate of, of $1 million, that's $15,000 in savings. Correct. And it's also, you know, it avoids the headache of, of then having to have that person's corporation valued or those shares valued on that person's death. We're on the phone with Jennifer Lynch, Dale Lessman. She is a will and estate planning lawyer. If you have not updated your will or if you need a tune-up to your will, uh, I suggest you give Jennifer Lynch a call. She's a wonderful, wonderful lawyer, and I have a lot of faith in her. I want to thank you very, very kindly for joining us. It's been an absolute delight. Well, thank you for having me, Wolfgang. It's my pleasure. Great. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Welcome back. Terry Thibb, IE Clarington Portfolio Manager. Uh, Terry, how much money do you manage? So I manage about $700 million right now with Clarington under three mandates. $700 million yeah. you are responsible for. Yes. And when markets go up and you do well, you feel pretty good? Always. And when markets reverse and go down the and opposite. the phone rings, people say, <laughs> where is my money, Terry? Does that happen? Yeah, it does. Yeah? People whine yeah, and complain. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm a retail broker, I, you know, I, so I have to represent. <laughs> well, you, you would know yes, that. correct. Yeah. I, I would know that. Uh, retail is a tough business. It is. It is a tough it business. Is. So, so you run money in North America. Jack and I, we're portfolio managers. We're discretionary managers. We run money in North America. And back in the day, Canadians had Canadian portfolios. And I think over the last 10 years, eh, Jack, uh, Canadians have evolved into slightly more North American portfolios and long gone, of course, are the days of RSP foreign contribution limits of what, 20, 30% yeah. and all that yeah. nonsense. So we can go as foreign as we wish. And I, I still think the stats are actually uh, alarming, uh, Terry. And I, I still think most Canadians are over invested in Canada yeah. and the Canadian stock market this year is, is barely up 1%. Uh, U.S. markets up 5 European markets up 10. Uh, so Canada, once again, is playing in the back seat. Yeah, once again. So so, so what do you think about that? Are you overweight, uh, America underweight Canada? No, actually, we're, we're the opposite right now. Contrarian, you know, nice. I, I, and and I, would, I would say, I think, you know, we, I, what I'm seeing is a global synchronized recovery happening, slow but steady. Mm-hmm. And that in itself should be very conducive to Canada. If, if global trade is picking up, people need materials, they need energy. They need manufacturing. Our partner to the U.S. is doing quite well. Canada should be doing well, but why isn't it? You know, you look at uh, the lo- sorry the global leading economic indicators. We've had one of the best prints in the last seven years, and that's highly correlated with TSX earnings. And we haven't seen the the correlation hold true yet. And um, I think that's because Canada's been hit almost by a perfect storm as of late. Canadian banks reported uh, results. Uh, numbers are coming in quite good. Dividends are being raised. Yep. Uh, they beat and surprised to the upside. Uh, would you buy Canadian banks? Is that where you'd begin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we do have... Over, a, sorry, and, and over American banks? Uh, you know, I think, 
it's neither here nor there. I think the U.S. banks have the potential for rising net interest margins, and they probably come at a little bit of a, a cheaper discount. But the Canadian banks, you know, there's always fear of the the housing market and what's going on in the GTA and, and in the Vancouver market. Are we in a housing bubble? Is this going to cause an impact on earnings, or is this actually going to be a balance sheet problem? I don't really see either of those happening. Um, but it is definitely a fear, and that's been depressing the banks. And, um, you know, recently with the foreign buyer tax that's been put on, um, you know, I think it's a bit of a wait-and-see mode. And we've it's a good start with, uh, with the earnings season that we just finished uh, kind of yesterday. You know, the commentary has been good. And I think uh, in the coming quarter, as the real impacts of this um, come, come through, uh, I think we'll, we'll see a potential for a reversion trade and maybe get multiples higher. Mm-hmm. So, so, Terry, what, what yes. sectors in particular in Canada do you like then? Where, where are you uh, placing your chips? So right now in, in almost all of North America, you, you know, c- coming back to the uh, to the U.S. election, just I'll right. answer your question here yep. in a second. But, you know, we had this big refl- reflationary trade happening and we saw um, growth stocks giving way to value stocks finally. And it's taken a long, long time for that to happen. Um, so since about mid-February, this reflation trade sort of started to unwind a little bit and sentiment towards it started to dissipate. And so what, what I think right now is that you've got a very, um, you know, uh, a trade where the market is overweight growth stocks again, overweight defense a little bit. Right. And so I actually think that um, moving towards uh, into the back half of the year that we have a potential reversion uh, setup happening again, where we might see growth giving way to value once again. We could have a similar sort of um, just a repeat of last year. Yeah, what you're looking yeah, for? S- somewhat similar. I don't think to the same degree, but you know. Um, so, so when you say what sectors do you like, um, you know, the industrials, some of the consumer discretionary again, um, where the you know in North America the consumer has not been present in the first first quarter, first half of the year. I think that's going to start to come back, um, at least from the data that we're seeing. And how about, how about some of the cyclicals that have been beaten up so much? Uh, our strategist, Martin Roberge, really likes them. Uh, yeah, and, and I do as well. And, and you know, a lot of that, when you, especially when you look at Canadian small cap names, there's a huge correlation with energy and, and just, you know, the, the, the Western Canadian economy. And um, so some of the, you know, even the dis- consumer discretionary stocks, second, third derivatives of that have been beaten up and there's some real value there. And if you think that energy is going to stabilize and just slowly improve, and that's, that's what we think will happen, we're not calling for a huge, you know, comeback in energy in any any meaningful way. But even with that, you'll get positive sentiment in some of these names that have been really beaten up. So we do like some of the, you know, the more value-oriented cyclical type names because, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it, to be a contrarian, that's where you'd want to be. Give us a couple of your you know, best ideas right now. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the small cap names that I really like, and, and I'm I'm... My mandates are focused, small, mid-cap, quality-oriented. We like to see companies with you know high return on invested capital, growing their earnings, trading at reasonable valuations. So one of those companies would be uh, ZCL Composites, trades uh, the ticker ZCL, and you know it's a small company. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, I'm but not. they they produce uh, fiberglass underground tanks that um, you know gas stations hmm. hold their fuel in, and and there's a huge secular trend, uh, you know, it's being regulated that they replace old 
steel, you know, decaying tanks in the ground to avoid uh, environmental issues. Jack, Jack has an issue up in the Muskoka, apparently, with those old oil tanks in front of the beautiful lake. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's your heating, heating oil. Maybe they could help you out. Yeah, sure. yeah, maybe they could help you out. Uh, Terry, yeah. why don't you hang around? I want to I learn more about some of your small cap ideas, but we have to, of course, pay for the show with our wonderful sponsors here on AM640. So you are listening to Hi-Fi Radio. Terry Thib is in the studio with us. We're learning about Canadian and North American small cap equities. Stay tuned right after this. I want money. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's what I want. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. If you have any questions about today's show or financial questions you need answered, go to WolfgangKlein.com. And now, back to the show. Here's Wolfgang and Jack. Yeah, good morning to you. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Hi-Fi Radio AM 640, a show about money and money and money and who doesn't like money. Uh, Terry Thibb is on the is in the studio with us. IA Clarington portfolio manager manages only seven hundred million dollars. Wouldn't that be nice, eh? Big job, big responsibility, Terry. So uh, let's let's carry on. Give us a couple other hot tips. Yeah. So you know, along that theme, I, I always look for these quality companies and and companies that have high return on invested capital, high return on equity, growing their earnings, trailing cash flow. Um, so. A lot of the companies I look for, I kind of look for these, I like to call them mini blue chips, and we like to try and find them first before other people do with our screens and, and processes. So I try and put a portfolio together of companies where, um, you know, like New Flyer, for example. I'm they they sure make if, buses? Yeah, municipal transit buses. School buses, those yellow school buses? Not the, not, the, not the school buses, the municipal transit buses that you might see, TTC. Um, you know, and, and all sorts of, you know, municipal transit authorities. What are those, bombard- those big Bombardier uh, uh, streetcars that are f- cruising around Toronto? They're pretty long, eh? Yeah. Have you been on one of you know, yeah, you them? I, I haven't been on one, but I mean, you know, it's these guys don't produce that, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, I mean, this is, this is a pretty good representative example. We've been with the name for years and years, and, um, you know, it just hits all my metrics. It's doing very well. It's hitting all of our screens as well, New Flyer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. the multiple on it? What does it trade for? So, you know, right now it's probably trading about nine times EBITDA, but for, for the That's longest, not bad. Nine times it's not, not bad. But it is, it is a cyclical? It, it, well, I guess you could call it a cyclical. I mean, they, they've got a huge backlog. It gives us tremendous uh, how, how, how long is their backlog? Oh, it, it's, it's billions. And, and so in, how much time would that be in terms of revenue? A couple years? Yeah. You know, and and when you look at that, it gives us a lot of a salesman's dream. It is gives you a lot of visibility into earnings and into cash flow and what they will do for the current year. Safer than an automotive uh, stock? Absolutely. Is it? Absolutely. Jack and I sold our automotive. We had some GM. We had to let it go. We had a little bit of Magna. We had to punt it out too. Yeah. End of the auto cycle. But this is different. You're telling us. Yeah. No. It's it's nothing to do with the auto cycle. You know, there's a replacement cycle happening in in municipal transit buses and uh, and and then the parts and services. Uh, you know, that's that's an ongoing tail. Well, for what's them. a bus worth? You know. So it depends, but I mean, you know, you, you can get with bus. air conditioning. <laughs> you know, it, we we look at it more on a, on an EBITDA per bus basis, sort of in the in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar range. So every time they sell a bus, they make that kind of uh, margin. Well, every and, time they sell a bus, they're making fifty to sixty grand. Yeah, really, they're making money. And like and on a car, I, they, they, the salesman when you sell, I'm not making, I'm losing money on the car. I make up in volume. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Have no. you ever done that math? I'm losing money on this by make up in volume. 
No, you know. I know so, it's early in the morning. <laughs> no, but it's absolutely. Wow. Uh, you know, it's a fantastic. What, what do you think business. Boeing makes on one of those uh, three hundred million dollar airplanes? Jeez. You know, I have no idea in, in that in that space in the large. Three hundred million bucks I mean, for an that's, airplane. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. It's a big capital outlay. Yeah, it's huge. What else huge. do you like? So, you know, companies that, that I can have visibility into. So I like Enercare, for example. I'm not we sure if you're... We own Enercare. Yeah, We're long. Yeah. Another, you know, stable, recurring type business. Um, pays a nice dividend yield. Has a reasonable payout ratio. What do you think of the valuation? Um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's getting up there, but it's been reasonable. And especially if you look at the recurring nature of the business... A lot of it's contracted, and um, so I think it's a reasonable valuation. They entered the United States with an acquisition. Yeah, um, service masters. Start, service masters. Is that starting to show some fruit? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. You know, they showed us a good quarter um, in, in the previous quarter to the last quarter, and recently, you know, the market's got to digest what the what the uh, SG&A looks like there, but. Um, I think they're they're doing quite well, and I think it's going to you know be be accretive for them. Stock a dividend grower. It, yeah, I mean, like it pays almost five, a six percent dividend. Is it six? Five, five six, depending. You know, it, the stock's been weak as of late. Right. But, uh, Stock goes down, you know, goes up. Yeah. But the dividend is safe. You believe? I believe so. I believe what, so. What's the payout ratio? You know, it's it's, it's, it's high, isn't it? It's higher. You yeah. know, it's it's in the in the eighty plus range if you look at the uh, you know the growth capex that they're spending out too. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, I think they can easily get that down over the next little while as as free cash flow grows on the back of the acquisition and as you know we see cash flow accretion happen. But I mean, you know, that's a, a, a nice solid yield you can get with a very stable recurring type business. Sure. Just, yeah. just switching gears a little bit here, Terry. Uh, being a portfolio manager, managing risk is one of the primary things that you have to do. Well, what's your sell discipline and how do you uh, cut losses if you have one in your portfolio? Yeah. So, I mean, sell discipline, I, I'm always looking at uh, every quarter we get a report on the, on the company and how they're doing and we make sure they're tracking to our expectations. We're looking to make sure that the company, uh, you know, we're pulling in its full earnings potential. And then we look at the company's trading history and where it's traded historically and where it's traded against its peers and where it's traded against the market. Sure. And um, if I have a company where, where I can see, you know, no real further upside in terms of the, 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 you know, outlook for earnings and is trading at its historical high multiple, the stock's probably flat at best, you right. know, down. So, um, you know, for me, that's a trim or, or a sell depending on how how uh, high the multiple is. Sure. A stock like New Flyer, how, how would that fit within that metric right now? It's done exceptionally well yeah. in Toronto. It's been a darling. Yeah. Uh, it's been so for years. Um, will that continue? Will you hold on to the stock? You know, you I ride I, the momentum. I um, still really like the stock. Um, before recent recent times, the last few months, really, the stock has been trading seven, eight times EBITDA. Right. And I think that was a pretty good discount compared to where other dividend paying uh, companies, dividend growth companies were you know, on the TSX. And, um, and so for me, finally, it's just got back, it's just got up to a normalized valuation multiple right now. Um, finally, right. and, and really, you know, given the recurring nature, the cash flow, the growth that we see, I think it can continue to go higher. It's obviously nicer if the multiple is a little lower, giving you a discount. So we'll, sure. we'll probably buy if it, if it, uh, if it dips. So hold about buying the dips. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Terry Thib, real pleasure having you in. I.A. Clarington, portfolio manager of $700 million. Wow. Real treat, my good friend. Brothers and sisters, I want to thank you for listening to the show. Hi-Fi Radio airs weekly, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. We're here to wake you up and put some fiber in your diet. High Finance, Hi-Fi Radio. Thank you, and have a good weekend. (laughs) 
Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.